0: This is Women's Australian Rules Football.
1: From Stage 4 Lockdown City, otherwise known as Melbourne, Australia, this is the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. And just like last week, this podcast is not airing on RSN Carnival this week due to their coverage of the Magic Millions. We'll be back on digital radio in Melbourne next Wednesday, 12th of August at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. But like this week and every other week, the podcast is available by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be chatting with recently retired AFLW footballer Talia Radden. But first, the latest women's footy news. We begin with a bit of unsurprising news. That is, AFL Victoria has officially canned the VFLW Exhibition Match Series for 2020. They were to be played in lieu of a normal VFLW season due to the coronavirus. But with Melbourne going into stage four lockdown, it became mission impossible. And that certainly will have an effect on mature age recruits, those over 18 trying to get one of the limited spots that will be available in October's draft. And it'll also have effect on those girls under the age of 18 who were taking part in the NAB League girls competition for a couple of rounds before the pandemic really hit Australia and their season was suspended there was hopes that they'd be able to continue this season throughout late August and September but again with stage 4 restrictions the NAB League girls season has been officially called off for 2020 And now to the AFL Women's Competition, where the trade period has kicked off. And we're giving you the latest information as of lunchtime on Wednesday, the 5th of August. We won't go through what the exact pick swaps were. We'll cover that off in next week's episode. But we'll give you an idea of the player movement, who has gone where as of lunchtime on Wednesday. Of course, one of the biggest moves early on was for Carlton footballer Sarah Hosking. She was part of their leadership group. She has now moved on to Richmond hey tigers fans it's sarah hosking here i'm so excited to be joining the girls for 2021 and beyond i'm loving my new colors in yellow and black i look forward to meeting you all soon and hopefully you're staying safe and well during these COVID times a number of experienced footballers will be joining sarah hosking at the tigers for the 2021 campaign that includes melbourne's harriet cordner
0: hey tigers fans harriet cordner here absolutely stoked to be pulling on the yellow and black in season 2021 Can't wait to get to work in pre-season, but in the meantime, I hope everyone's at home, staying safe and well, and we'll see you
1: soon. Up the Tigers. Also, Collingwood pair Sarah Dargan and Sarah Darcy have moved from the Pies to the Tigers.
0: Hey, Tigers fans, it's Sarah Darcy here. I'm super excited to pull on the
1: yellow and black. Can't wait to get down to Punt Road and get stuck into it. Hey Tigers fans, it's Sarah Duggan here. I can't wait to put on the yellow and black jumper next year. I'm looking forward to heading down to Punt Road and getting into it. hope you're all safe. Go Tigers! As of recording, the Tigers had traded away one player. That was Grace Campbell, who finished fifth in their club Best and Ferris for the 2020 season. She has moved on to North Melbourne. Meanwhile, the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos have lost one player. Abby Green has gone from the Roos across the Magpies.
0: Hey Magpie fans, Abby Green here. Just wanted to say I'm stoked to be a part of the club for the 2021 season. Looking forward to meeting you all and cannot wait to put on the black and white Guernsey.
1: Cheers. The Pies also managed to pick up a speedster in Alicia Newman. Of course, Alicia originally from Melbourne.
0: Hey Magpies fans, Alicia Newman here. Super excited to be on board for the 2021 season and beyond. Can't wait to meet you all and put on the black and white jersey. Hope everybody's staying safe and well.
1: The Saints have added another exciting youngster and former Hawthorne VFLW footballer to their list. Carlton footballer Jade Van Dyke has crossed from the Blues to the Saints.
0: Hey, Saints fans. It's Jade Van Dyke here. I'm super excited to be a part of the St Kilda Football Club and I'm really looking forward to meeting all the girls and I just can't wait to get started. But until then, stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy and bring on 2021. Let's own it.
1: Meanwhile, the Saints have lost Jess Sedinary, who's returned home to South Australia and will be playing with the Crows in 2021. Finally, Irishwoman woman Aisling McCarthy has moved from the Western Bulldogs to the West Coast Eagles.
0: Hey Eagles fans, Aisling McCarthy here, all the way from Tipperary in Ireland. I'm so excited to be joining the club next year and I can't wait to play in front of the Blue and Gold Army. I'm really looking forward to heading to Perth for pre-season and joining all my new teammates. See you all soon.
1: As of recording, at lunchtime on Wednesday, the 5th of August, all eyes were still on the Melbourne Football Club, with Elise O'Day reportedly wanting a move to Carlton, and also Catherine Smith being strongly linked to the GWS Giants. Over the last week and a bit, there has been some retirement news. We'll be catching up shortly with Talia Radden, formerly of the Adelaide Crows, Melbourne Demons and West Coast Eagles. We did forget to mention a week or so ago that Courtney Gum has officially retired from the Adelaide Crows. She originally retired from the GWS Giants, which we did an interview with her last year about. She answered the call to play one season with the Crows in 2020, but has now officially hung up the boots. And Sophie Lee has retired. Of course, she began her footy career in 2018 with Carlton, crossed over to the Crows in 2019, where she was part of that premiership team. And an unlucky retirement for Michaela Roberts. She has retired after one season with the Collingwood Magpies. However, due to injury, she unfortunately never got to play an A. F L W match. And that is your latest women's footy news. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks football. And our feature guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast began her career in the South Australian Women's Football League in 2011. A short time later, she'd go across to AFL Canberra. While in the ACT, she would have the honour of captaining the New South Wales ACT squad in 2016. She'd be drafted to the Adelaide Crows later that year, play in their inaugural premiership in 2017. Two years later move on to Melbourne, play at Hawthorne and the VFLW and then jump across to the West Coast Eagles in Perth. That's some frequent flyer miles, and it's great to have on the line the recently retired AFLW footballer, Talia Radden. Talia, how are you?
0: I'm great, thanks,
1: Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. I do need to ask the question, have you actually taken a look at your frequent flyer miles?
0: (laughs) Uh, well, they're not of much use at the moment, but um, the Virgin Australia ones are looking quite uh, healthy. So hopefully, we'll get a chance to be able to travel around in the future soon. But yeah, look, it's been a it's been a journey across the states. But um, the bonus of that is I've met some great people in football um, who have been influential at each state. So there are no complaints on my end for that.
1: Before we jump into looking at your career, starting right back to when you went to school, um, has it hit you yet that I'm now retired?
0: <laughs> it's actually quite a tough decision to make. I mean, for those of us who have made this decision recently, it's football's been the driver and I guess the centrepiece of what we've done for so long. And once the AFLW came in, we've made life changes that have, I guess, accounted for that. Uh, so for myself, it is it is different. Um, I know it's the right time to do it, but that said, it, it definitely takes some transition and some... Um, Acceptance, I guess that, that the journey's over. Um, you know, there are opportunities to be involved off the field, but it certainly changes your uh, way of looking things, looking at things. And um, look, it hasn't hit me just yet, but I think it will when I watch the girls go out um, for round one. But um, that's just um, how the footy cycle evolves, isn't
1: it? Let's rewind back to the early to mid '90s as you're going through your school years, where you're a sporty kid growing up.
0: Yes, I was. I was. Uh, I was actually a netballer. So um, that was that was, I guess, the only sport that we really had to pursue. Or in South Australia, especially, there wasn't really an established football league, particularly for the girls who were younger. So I was only able to play Ozkick and then uh, moved into to netball. So I dedicated most of my sporting life to that and worked my way up through uh, netball. And by actually. Um, I played state league and reserve between sort of the age of sixteen to eighteen um, in the South Australian uh, like netball SA league, and I sort of thought netball was probably what I'd like to pursue. But I did two ACLs um, in the space of about two years, so um, I think it was a, a bit of a sign that perhaps football might be on the cards rather than the netball. But look at yeah, I was a sporty kid, and I guess myself and a lot of my teammates. Um,
1: Shared that common interest when we were kids growing up. So, in your early 20s, you're doing university in Adelaide. You reach the age of 20 to 23. Then, all of a sudden, the Greenacres Football Club comes onto your radar. Can you talk about the story about being led to Greenacres and playing in the SAWFL, as it was known then? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I actually played Gaelic football initially. So Michelle Reeves, um, one of the old stalwarts of women's football, was playing Gaelic with me at the time. And um, there was a couple of the girls that played out in the Sawful, which it was known as um, back then. And I just loved football and my whole family lives and breathes football. So um, it was a bit of a dream that perhaps I would be able to, to play it um, as a teenager and then in my early 20s. So... I just met, I found my way out to Green Acres, and I was very lucky to have um, one of the best coaches that has great South Australian soil over here in Narelle Smith. So um, she really took me under my wing in that first year or two, and she taught me a lot of the fundamentals and kicking techniques, and I guess I felt like I was probably a little bit ahead of the curve having someone with her football mouse um, influence me so early. So uh, that's how that all unfolded.
1: To you, what stood out about Ral Smith? Of course, not only for coaching at Green she would go on to coach premierships at Moorfordville Park. She would coach the SA State women's team, be involved as assistant coach at the Adelaide Crows. Anytime we mention the name Rael Smith, she's highly spoken of.
0: She's an excellent game day coach. She's just got a real spirit and passion for the game. So she's, she knows how to instill that um, into her playing group and really get us up and about and playing well. But Most of all, I think, as I said, she has an incredible football now and technical knowledge, um, not only for football craft, but the game itself. So it was probably early days to have, um, you know, football experts, particularly women in South Australia who really knew their stuff. And um, again, I was just really lucky to have some really talented people around me um, so early on in the equation. Uh, I think the Vic girls particularly had access to that. A lot earlier on, and it took South Australia a little while to catch up. So I was definitely in the right place at the right time.
1: Can you talk us through some of those Green Acres footballers that you played alongside of? I believe uh, Danielle Godding was originally from Green Acres before obviously going to Moreville Park. Brooke Copeland was at Green Acres, uh, Kim Carter, and of course Michelle Reed, as you mentioned earlier.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. Michelle Reed. Um, and then we came up against Courtney Cramey. Um, there were some great odd battles between Moorfootville Park and Greenacres and then uh, later West Adelaide who came in. So um, those girls all um, were great footballers back in the day. And um, unfortunately for some of them, um, they were just that little bit too old to be able to have the opportunity to go into the AFLW. But, um, you know, they're still around the South Australian footballing landscape now. And a lot of them have influential positions, you know, on and off the field in the sandfall. So, yeah, um, you know, it's really nice to be able to reconnect with a lot of those, those players again.
1: What were you like in your first year or two as a footballer at Greenacres? We're still years away from you, uh, captaining New South Wales ACT and then moving into AFLW. How would you describe your first two years playing the game?
0: I can distinctly remember the first time I got hit in the head. Um, and it was terrifying, um, coming from a non-contact sport like netball. It was really, I remember it just shook my bones and, um, it really took me, you know, a good game to settle myself after getting hit so hard. And, um, I was always a taller player, so I was a little bit of a utility and I used to just get thrown around, um, wherever I sort of was needed. And I didn't really know that I was any good at it. I, I guess, um, Back then, actually, I wasn't the most fit (laughs) of people going around. Um, I definitely am in better shape now than what I was back then, but um, I guess I always knew that I was okay at it. I had a decent kick and overhead mark and was always a bit taller. So, um, you know, I was a – I would say a utility player and uh, I used to play half forward a little bit and kick a few more goals than what I do now. So, um, yeah, I was never – a. running midfield or anything like that, but um, utility was probably the best best description back then.
1: In 2013, for further university studies in law, you moved to uh, Canberra and also a, a government position would come up there for you. So you find yourself landing in a new city. Obviously, there's a number of football clubs you can choose from. So what led you in the direction of the Belcon and Magpies?
0: Um, well, it was none other than Aliso Day, who um, is as we know, a very well-known person in the AFL women's space. And she actually was a, a Belcon- Belconan magpie from the day that she was born, basically. And um, I got put in contact with her and um, I headed out to Belconan. And it was just so happened that Elise just then moved to Melbourne as I arrived. Um, but I received a very coveted number five playing jumper. Um, and that's become a bit of a Belconan tradition now. So um, that was great. And I went over to Belconan and, it was a real um, for a non-traditional, I guess, footballing area in Canberra, and obviously there are a lot of people from Sydney and neighbouring states. It's um, Canberra's an interesting place. It's people don't necessarily follow football as fanatically as what we do in South Australia and Vic and WA, but um, there are some really talented athletes there. So um, it was different. There were girls there that we sort of had to lead and um, teach them the ins and outs of footy a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's become a really sort of outstanding breeding ground. There's quite a lot of girls who have been drafted out of Belconnen. So um, I'm proud to, to say that, you know, I was drafted out of there in the first place.
1: We'll talk about some of those names in a moment. But what is that presentation like when you're getting the number five from Elise Day? It's not a case of, oh, by the way, she represented ACT and she's won the last four club best and fairest. Good luck.
0: <laughs> no, what was she was... But at that stage, she was obviously known as one of the best female footballers in the country. So um, she was obviously moving down to Melbourne to, to pursue her football career and had some university options down there too. So um, I, I knew I was in good hands when, when she was handing over the jumper and um, I knew that I was in a good place, um, again, in a non-traditional football area uh, to be able to be at the best club in terms of development and support. Um, yeah, it was it was very honouring to get that from the league.
1: Yeah, just trying to go off the top of my head, some of those gun players that uh, came out of Balcon at, at that time. The helmet, Heather Anderson, who was a, yes. a Balconan yes. player. Uh, Hannah Wallett was a Balconan player. She, of course, played at uh, GWS. Um, also, Jess Sibley came out of Balconan, And, of course, before your time, Christy Williams from girlsplayfooty.com will also try and claim that she was a star out of Balconnen. <laughs> but, but quite a number of good footballers there. And, of course, um, s- some more recently getting drafted after Balconan made the grand final last year in AFL Canberra.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jodie Hicks was another who came um, out of Belcotton too, so I was happy to uh, – she's now inherited my number five, and um, Annalise's number five, which was good fun. So Jodie's come out of there too, and Maggie Gorham um, was drafted out of there up to GWS last year too. She was a very early pick um, in the AFLW draft. So um, it's certainly a really outstanding club, and there's been some people who have just put in excellent football programs for the girls there, and um, I guess it's been – far beyond and um, I guess early for the time in Canberra and the, the football programs that were there. They um, The other clubs probably hadn't quite caught up yet. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's probably, it's just a really nice thing when you see that girls are drafted out of that club. Um, I feel a real connection to it.
1: Um how much does it test uh, your leadership skills and, I guess, patience, as you were mentioning earlier, because, obviously, Canberra uh, is a footy town, but not as, as deep as Victoria SA. And as you said, you've got some stars in your side and then you've got some girls that have never touched the football before and they're just trying to learn and develop the skills. How does that test your patience as a leader that, OK, we've got one group, but this everyone's at so many different levels?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, this has probably happened... Uh, quite a bit in women's football over the last 10 years now and it's we're waiting for it to get the standard to, to pick up to what it needs to be. But um, I think the girls there are often very athletic and it can be difficult because, again, they don't necessarily have that passion or um, love for football or haven't grown up with it necessarily. So learning the the ins and outs of structures and um, game plays and set that's the most difficult thing. Um, you can always teach and guide, I guess, intent and um, two-way running and all those sorts of fundamentals. But um, I guess having that really intricate knowledge of the game doesn't always come uh, second nature. I guess as we grow up in SAVICWA, we're just are so used to it being uh, part of our DNA. Um, so that's the most difficult thing, I guess, is getting that real solid gameplay understanding um, there's a lot of very talented athletes in um, New South Wales and ACT, and you can see now there are more and more getting drafted um, as the Giants Academies and the Swans Academies have supported that. So um, it's certainly the most difficult thing, but if you have, you know, intent and um, girls who are willing to, to do the hard yards, it, it's, not, it's not too difficult at all.
1: Before I talk about representative football, the coach of the AFL Canberra women's team was one Beck Goddard. <laughs> what was it like being under Beck and getting to know Beck in the AFL Canberra space before that? You wouldn't know that in a couple of years' time you'd be playing under her at the Adelaide Crows.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, Beck was very influential in AFL Canberra, as was Adrian Pavese, um, who also was an assistant coach um, in some of the women's exhibition matches. So. Both of them in tandem were sort of the real leaders in in teaching us the game. And, um, again, they were far beyond um, the skill level and the coaching now that existed anywhere in in New South Wales and ACT. So they they just took us away and um, really instilled that belief that there were some good footballers in the region. Um, They always made sure that we knew that Um, because it is hard being so separate from the big time competitions, I guess. So they were really instrumental in um, pushing that forward and, and making sure that some of us knew we were good enough to make it really.
1: New South Wales ACT in 2015 took on Victoria 2. So this is the second Victorian side at Punt Road Oval. You're named in that squad. Uh, it was a handy win to the Victorians in that game at Richmond. Um, how much of a, of a lesson was that for the New South Wales ACT players? Because at that moment in 2015, it hadn't been confirmed that AFLW would kick off in 2017, but the murmurs and the whispers were there that it was going to be brought forward.
0: Yeah, it was. It's quite funny. That game, um, I actually found the program for that when I was moving house uh, back to Adelaide recently and I looked through the players that were playing in it that day and it was quite incredible to see how many of them are actually in the AFLW now, um, both from Victoria and New South Wales, ACC. Um, That day was quite special for us in, for the Rams because it was the first time that we amalgamated and played as a as one, as the boys do, um, for the Rams. So, um. We, we were just really proud, I guess, to pull on the, you know, the blue and the gold and um, go down there as a collective. And we knew that it was going to be very tough against the big girls. Um, but we, I remember the game quite clearly. We held our own, you know, quite solidly in terms of our contested work, but it was clear that um, the Victorian girls had just had that um, ability to work on their, their skills and their fundamentals for so many more years. And they were so much more polished than us, um, so I think it was probably a really good, uh, not a wake-up, but I think it was just uh, an example of where we knew we needed to get to over the next couple of years. And as you say, there were murmurs about the league um, potentially coming in. So I think, again, there's always, there was always the belief that quite a few of us were good enough to make it. We just needed to really be in the right support um, and have the right skill development to be able to really get the polish onto our game, to be able to match it with those girls. Um, So if anything, I think it really gave us some belief and it was just a great experience. I remember being just really proud to be there um, as the Rams for the first time.
1: I should point out that uh, before we lead into your uh, representative honours in 2016, across your Belcon and career, you played more than uh, 50 games and you kicked more than 50 goals. Not bad for someone who's normally touted as a defender.
0: (laughs) I actually played as a forward in that first state game. So, um, I, I really only made the switch to defence, I think, in about 2016-17. So, again, I really enjoyed being a bit more of a utility player and um, being that sort of second or third tool that um, could float the half forward. Or um, Yeah, look, I, I've, it's quite funny when you bring up that statistic because I, I could swear I haven't kicked the goal for about two or three years. So it's quite a quite a laugh. But, um, yeah, again, the, the league was quite solid. It certainly... Um, it's certainly, nothing to to laugh about. Like I'm really proud to say, I come from New South Wales, ACT. I've made some really great grounds over there.
1: Overall, looking back on it, how would you compare the standard uh, from your final year in AFL Canberra compared to your final year, which was 2012, in the SAWFL? Um, considering at the time when we're looking at state football, excluding Tasmania, which was probably the weakest state because it came along very late in the process, uh, we was seeing uh, those two competitions weaker compared to Victoria, WA and Queensland.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But um, interestingly, I found the competition stronger over in New South Wales ACT. Um, and given that I was playing in AFL Canberra, it was absolutely on par with the SA League at the time, if not even stronger. Um, so it really showed the urgency, I guess, that South Australia needed to implement something um, to better support their female footballers. And it definitely, South Australia was behind the eight ball. Um, so I think those state competitions were a real driver and really important in pushing the agenda here in South Australia. And as you can see, the sample w now has come along in space and I think that that's really paid off. Um, I guess it was just unfortunate that it didn't happen earlier, but um, you know, back then it, it, the standard certainly wasn't what you would have hoped for.
1: At representative level, you managed to. You and Kara Donellan both have something in common you both managed to captain a representative side against your birth state. Cara <laughs> <Tarantana>, Dinella, <laughs> captain WA against Victoria. The only time ever WA beat Victoria. You captain New South Wales ACT against your birth state of South Australia.
0: Yeah, look, it's quite ridiculous, isn't it? I, it's The one jumper that I've never received is that SA State Guernsey. So, um, but look, I, that was a, an interesting experience. Um, I think, though, because I had lived in New South Wales ACT for a solid block of years, I'd been away from SA for quite a while, and I'd really developed relationships with the team and the staff over East, so um, coming back home, it was very strange, um, and particularly because I knew quite a lot of the girls and had a lot of respect for them, um, but on the day, you know, we were we were there to win. and. Um, unfortunately, we just went down by about five or six points, I think, from what I can recall. Um, yeah, look, I'll take that. If, uh, it's quite a good start. Um, it was it was probably something that I wouldn't have um, predicted in my younger years, but there you go.
1: Do I also throw this stat at you? Technically, you're the first ever women's captain at the GWS Giants, you, of course, led the Giants side against the Sydney Swans in the exhibition match in 2016 on the SCG.
0: Which was great fun. That was, that was a really, really exciting day. Again, it was just really pre-empting um, what could happen. And we all knew that they were the rumblings of the AFLW, and it really just drove um, New South Wales and ACT to improve quickly to really match it with the other states. Um, that was such an exciting day to play on the SCG. It's such a beautiful ground, and you look around at the stands, and it's just this really historic-looking ground. And I remember there being photos of the first sort of women's game that had been played on there, and it was just a really historic moment. Um, you know, hopefully the Swans will get a side in sooner rather than later, but um, it was very special to play on the SCG.
1: Of course, in that game, you had captain uh, some of the best players from New South Wales, the ACT, and even an American in your side, in Katie Clad of Sacramento. What was the most special occasion for you before AFLW? Is it leading a side out in the SCG, or is it leading a side out in Adelaide Oval?
0: Oh, absolutely Adelaide Oval. Um, and again, just representing the Rams. Um, we've done a lot of hard work in, in New South Wales and ACT, and... Um, the Giants and Swans Academy had really picked up their game and um, we had some incredible coaches there supporting us. So um, to be able to come over and travel over as a group and it really um, was a precursor for, you know, our AFLW travel and how you come in the day before and you stay in the hotel and you, you play your game, do your recovery, jump on the plane and go home again. So it was sort of a real... Um, audition I guess of how things would probably run in the future so it was very it was very humbling to be able to be selected to be a captain of that side and that's an absolute highlight for me
1: So you've gone through playing for New South Wales ACT for the GWS Giants you've done everything you can in, in representative football leading up to what would be the first ever draft for the AFL women's uh, competition. to be taking part in October 2016. As we know, the draft is not a national draft. The options are, as you nominate for the state pool that you would like to be drafted out of, and if you're not taken out of that respective uh, uh draft pool, you can be then taken as a free agent by any other state. The example, of course, your Adelaide Crows, was that Sarah Perkins nominated from the Victorian draft. She was overlooked. Beck picked up the phone and the rest is history. So for you, you've been playing in Canberra at that stage. You've been involved in the New South Wales ACT system. So by theory, it would seem that, oh, okay, Talia will nominate for the GWS Giants in the New South Wales pool. Instead, you opted for South Australia, your home state. What was the decision behind that and was it a hard decision
0: yeah it was very very difficult um I obviously had the opportunity to go um quite early to GWS and there was talk that I'd be an earlier signing even so um that was very difficult because I felt um that I was almost letting down the girls a little bit that um I'd played with for um you know two three four years and um It was tough, um, but David Noble and Phil Harper had sort of kept tabs on um, the South Australians that were elsewhere. Um, And when they were building the Adelaide squad, I did get a call or two. And um, obviously it was a really tough decision, but um, in the end, being able to go home and play for the team that I'd been a lifelong member of, it was a bit of a no-brainer when I sat down and thought about it. And... It was just so exciting. It was the first time I'd been able to come home uh, since I'd moved away for uni and work. And, um, it, like, my family were just over the moon. So, um, look, in the end, I think the the home ties won out. But, um, yeah, absolutely, it was very tough at the time to make that call.
1: It's interesting to say uh, how the staff of the Adelaide Crows kept tabs on where all the South Australians outside of SA were and trying to bring them in because that seemed to be very opposite to what was happening over in WA who we said um, had just beaten Victoria in a state game They were seen as super strong Fremantle were going to be the WA side and instead as we found about uh, a dozen or so um, um, WA players all ended up being scattered throughout the country including of course you got Chelsea Randall
0: Yes Lucky for us. Um, yeah, look, it, you're right. It was slightly different tactic. I think even um, South Australia was still not quite at the same level as, um, you know, Western Australia. And obviously, Victoria had been so strong for such a long period of time. Um, so, I think it was a really clever way um, that David Noble and Phil Harper built the depth of the list. And um, Jenna McCormick was another example. She was actually a Queensland player at the time um, who was... Um, who came home and played for Adelaide instead of um, going to Brisbane. So they really did their work and knew who was around. So by the time we all came together, we had quite a solid um, solid role-playing group. And then we were very lucky to obviously get Chelsea Randall, who, in my opinion, is one of the best players who's ever played the game. So, um, you know, that list build um, had a lot of work behind it. And Caitlin Brady and... Narelle Smith were both really fundamental to that too. Um, They did a lot of work behind the scenes in sort of that year leading up to the first AFLW draft.
1: Let's talk about that draft day because unlike the Victorians, for example, who have a competitive draft pool, so no club can really make a guarantee to a Victorian player of, hey, we're taking you uh, this and when. Uh, for the other states, because you've got because there's an exclusive focus on the Adelaide Crows on the SA draft pool, they know straight away who they're taking and it's not being interfered with. Did they call you the night or so before to say, you can go in there, you can relax, you can be calm, we're taking you, it's just a matter of what number we take you or were you still kept in the dark until your name was called out?
0: Luckily, I wasn't kept in the dark. Um, I knew that I was going to be selected by Adelaide. Um, but that said, until your name is actually read out, um, it's very, very nerve-wracking. You sort of think, oh, you know, what if they make a mistake or what if what if something else has happened? And um, it wasn't until my name was actually called out that I could relax. I remember it just being the most ecstatic moment on my life, I think, um, and particularly because I hadn't told a lot of people that, that I was coming home to Adelaide. So, um, yeah, it was very, very exciting. But Adelaide certainly did a lot of work in the lead-up um, to make sure I was comfortable and they accommodated quite a few of us to be able to come home and all girls, for example, who shifted over from interstate. So um, they did some great work there in making sure we were all ready to to um, be good to go at the start of November for that
1: inaugural preseason. season so you're taken by the club that you grew up following as a child I promise not to mention the 93 preliminary final in detail anyway <laughs> um when does the moment hit you whether it's your name called out in the draft whether it's walking through the doors or being presented the jumper for the first time that the club that you followed as a child growing up you're about to represent them
0: Yeah, it's a rare thing, isn't it? I mean, the boys don't really get that very often. And um, it's something that I really don't take for granted. It's just such a meaningful thing for myself and everyone around me. Um, I think, to be honest, it might have just been the first time I walked through the doors. And, um, you know, it's a club I idolized. And the players were my heroes growing up. And I used to sit at, you know, old Amy Stadium and Football Park with my family throughout the years. And, Um, We just loved it. It was like, the, I guess, the bonding moment for my family. So um, I think walking in the doors, to be honest, and knowing that it was actually a reality for myself and others. Um, And I met Chelsea Randall and Kelly Gibson on that very first day and um, I was actually quite starstruck by Chelsea. Uh, The first time she texted me after the draft, I couldn't believe that the Chelsea Randall was texting me. So I count that as a highlight too.
1: What's it like trying to bond and, and build friendships with a third of your teammates who aren't there with you in Adelaide? They're actually based out of Darwin.
0: Yeah, we, we were really conscious of that. Like we probably went above and beyond um, and really made a conscious effort to connect in with them digitally. I mean, that's basically how we're living nowadays with COVID, but we we really had to connect up that way. We'd have FaceTime and We'd make sure that our team meetings were at the same time so that we could connect in. So we were basically all chatting to each other um, via that digital platform. We had a couple of priests and camps. Obviously we spent a fair bit of time in Darwin too, particularly in that first couple of years um, of the AFLW. So um, Darwin became a bit of a second home for us too. So we were just really, um, I guess, conscious of it, as I said, and we really made sure we accommodated one another and, understood that it was difficult, but we just made sure that we didn't have it as a burden. Um, It was a positive to get those players in um, who had their own skill sets and leadership qualities. So for us, it was just a bonus, really.
1: You were mentioning earlier about getting that uh, text message and meeting for the first time for, for Chelsea Randall almost being awestruck because of, of such the great footballer that she's been across state level and, of course, uh, representing Melbourne in those uh, exhibition matches. But uh, you mentioned one name, and I'll also throw in another in a moment, of uh, those that uh, have played a little bit of Aussie rules, but by theory they're cross-coders. And what your initial thoughts were... Of, Can they play it at this level? You've had Jenna McCormick, who, of course, was playing in W League, but had played a little bit of Aussie rules in Queensland. And then there's probably sitting in the corner somewhere, this blonde-haired woman with some uh, (laughs) Olympic tats called Erin Phillips. What are your initial impressions?
0: Oh, look, my initial impression was um, it was actually quite funny because half of the Adelaide girls were so starstruck that they were almost too nervous to say hello to Erin. Um, so that was always a good laugh but I think Erin's just one of those people who leads by presence she um, walks into a room and immediately demands those elite behaviours and um, regardless of what we'd yet to see on the training track and then in games following um, we knew that she was such an excellent person to have in our team um, because part of the AFLW was obviously getting up to those elite standards and fitness levels and strength and conditioning immediately. And um, she really drove those behaviours and it was a really indicative thing of, it, of how the crows, I guess, came along so quickly and perhaps a, a testament to our success that we were able to really live those elite behaviours from day one. Um, so Erin really just, really just encapsulates the room with that. Um, she's an amazing person and um, demands excellence.
1: Can you talk what it's like going through that uh, inaugural preseason not only the trading load which has just been taken to a new level of of professionalism but also Expectation. Uh, if, if you look at the betting odds and everything like that, and what the punters were saying, the overwhelming favourite was Fremantle, despite losing uh, a number of WA-based players. But everyone thought WA was strong enough, and Fremantle would be thereabouts. Always going to be one of the Victorian teams. Yours truly um, attached my uh, bandwagon to Collingwood. Thought they had a great list. Um, Melbourne had a very strong midfield. The Bulldogs were being talked up. No one was mentioning anything about the Crows. If anything, when it came to Wooden Spoon Talk, Crows and maybe the Giants' names were being mentioned. What's it like when no one's really expecting you to do anything coming into this first season?
0: I think the excitement actually overwhelmed those expectations. So for us, it was just so um, much of excitement and relief, I guess, to finally have the opportunity to train and play at the elite level. And, As I mentioned before, South Australia had a lot of ground to make up because traditionally the women's football programs hadn't been as strong and as well resourced. So we were really just excited to have that opportunity. And I think it just shows that when players with talent um, have the resources around them and the support around them, how quickly um, things can change and how quickly the standard can improve. So it was just a real reflection of that. Um, excitement and finally having that opportunity as South Australians to, to be good footballers. So for us, it wasn't really an, uh, a thought, I guess. Um, we just, I guess being in a different state and being the only team, we were probably a little shielded um, from all of that speculation as well. So um, we just got along with it and then it was a really nice surprise when the games rolled on and um, we had that rapid improvement that, meant we were able to match it with the rest of the league, which
1: was just fabulous. Of course, you'd end up having a pre-season game against uh, Fremantle up in Darwin to try and warm up for the season in very uh, humid conditions a couple of weeks out from the start of the season. And as we chatted to Courtney Cramey the other week, leading into the first game at Theberton Oval, not only do you have nerves already of this is your first ever AFLW game, you, like every other AFLW player, is sitting at home. You turn on Channel 7. You see Carlton and Collingwood at Princess Park, and you see it's a lockout, 25,000 people. Courtney mentioned the other week, that's it. Couldn't sleep that night. The sleep was ruined. The nerves were there. What's going through your mind that, you know, you've gone from playing at grounds in front of two men and a dog to now, uh-oh, we could be coming to and Oval tomorrow. And it is going to be jammed packed.
0: (laughs) Same with Courtney, really. I remember being a bit emotional. Um, I actually watched it with a few of my crows' teammates. And we were just absolutely so excited for those Carlton and Collingwood girls. Um, And the roar when the first bounce um, went up. And and we were actually just sitting there. And we looked at each other almost in shock. And um, just basically said, this is going to be unbelievable tomorrow. Um, when we go out to Thebberton. So, and and it was, that's exactly what it was. Um, Again, like it probably for us and for us in the women's football community, it wasn't a surprise, but it certainly was to others in the media and and people who'd never paid any attention or understood that women do play football at a high level. So um, much like Courtney, we, um, we sat there in shock, but just supreme happiness for those girls that, or playing
1: out that first game at, at um, I think it's Icon Stadium now. So here it is, match day. Socks on, shorts on, jumpers on, do a warm up back in the rooms, and then you run down the race for the first time. Does it hit you straight away as you run out of the race of, wow, here's the crowd, here's the occasion? Or you're just so focused on going through your drill, warming up before the first bounce that it maybe even takes a little while to notice of, oh, my God, this is it. This is the moment.
0: Yeah, it, we did, actually. And we were conscious of the fact that it was a special moment. Um, so to have the, the time to take that in, and I think running out and hearing the crow song for a lot of us was just so exciting. It was like the beginning of the big time. Um, something that was really distinct was the crowd noise because none of us had played in front of that before. So um, there are a couple of early moments where I think, you know, my teammates had tackled someone that was holding the ball, and you heard that collective roar of ball. Um, and it was just amazing because, again, we'd never had that before. Um, so, yeah, look, like I can remember that moment very distinctly. So it won't be going away anytime soon.
1: You get the Chockeys in the first game, you get to sing the song in the huddle. Is that a special moment for you? Because it's rarely talked about the first time you actually get to sing the song.
0: Yeah, I think um, that when you can look at each other in the eye and you sing the song as teammates, um, it is definitely one of the best parts of football. Um, And I've actually got a photo uh, from that day and that very moment where we sang the song for the first time as Adelaide. Um, And it was just incredible. We went into the rooms and sung it again about two or three times behind closed doors just because we were so excited. Um, So I'm not sure that that made it to TV, but I think the song was sung about four times So the one on TV was um, the precursor to the the later singing.
1: So after that game, uh, it's well known that Tex Walker, I think it was, made the quote at the time saying, remember it was Tex Walker or Paddy Dangerfield? One of them made the quote that, oh, Adelaide's going to go on and win the flag. And a few went, well... (laughs) I um, think it was Paddy. Paddy, there we are. It was Paddy, wasn't it? And everyone said, said, oh, come on, mate, calm down. It's the first game. They just beat GWS. Hold your horses here. (laughs) But then you bounce back the next week and beat the Bulldogs over at Witten Oval and beat them comprehensively. All of a sudden, a few people are... Wow, what's going on here? When is that moment? Because remember, it's a very short season that all of a sudden you as a group get the belief of, hey, we're a shot at this.
0: Yeah, I actually ranked that game as being equal to the grand final win um, purely for that belief. And it was very exciting. We played at Witten Over on a Friday night. And I think it was the first sort of game that was on Channel 7 Friday night. Um, you know, we all had our spray tans and hair done because of the Friday night footy. Like the boys, the boys get their hair cut before the big Friday night games. Um But, yeah, look, I remember, again, being um, really proud of the group because um, we'd gone up there and shown that we can match it with the victims teams. And um, a lot of those girls had been girls that we'd been aspiring to be like for a long time. So um, that made it even more special that um, we were able to go out there and, Just play really well as a team, I think, and really counteract the pressure that the Bulldogs put on in the first quarter. I think they had quite a lot of inside 50s from what I can remember being a defender out there at the time. But we were able to just repel those and calm our nerves a little bit and get on with playing the game as it went on.
1: Of course, the belief would start to build uh, the following week. You would beat Carlton. Um, and, and as things rolled along, um, you had a couple of close losses. You, you lost against the Brisbane Lions at, at a packed house at Norwood. That was the time when both you were undefeated going into that game. And, of course, a close loss up against, um, up against Melbourne in Darwin. But it would be enough on percentage to get that spot in the grand final. What's it like during this bizarre week for the first ever AFLW Grand Final, unlike the men's prior to coronavirus, where it's guaranteed it's the MCG, it's the last Saturday in September, everyone knows when and where it's going to be, where we have the scenario of, yeah, might be on a Saturday, we're not quite sure, and I think the Gabba might be in or out, it could be at Adelaide, no, we're going to play it at Metricon. What's that week of uncertainty like?
0: Uh, we, we were just firstly we were so excited to make it but um I think we said at the time that we were happy to play on a median strip if that meant that we got to go out and run out in the grand final um we knew it would be in Queensland so we were just preparing um the club suggested we went up early anyway so we ended up going up about two days earlier than what we would have normally and we actually spent um an extra couple of nights on the Gold Coast as a team and um, it was actually great because we were able to just sort of get away from um, everything that was going on in Adelaide and the talk about it. And we really just knuckled down and um, spent some really good quality time with ourselves. We had a sing along. Um, one of our trainers brought a guitar along. So we are probably similar to COVID life or hub life now, to be honest, but um, we just said, you know, wherever it is, anywhere, anytime, we've got to play and get it done. So um, we had a little bit of an air of confidence, I think, leading into that game. I think um, it's interesting looking back. I think we all knew that we were going to win it. It was a really um, special feeling, not in an arrogant way, but I think we knew that what we were there to do. Um, so, yeah, it was an amazing time.
1: Before we talk about the grand finals specifically, as you mentioned going up two days early in a men's football competition, that's easy. Your full-time footballers will go up whenever we go up. But in the women's space, you're all part-timers. How hard is that to organise the time off work at short notice of, oh, hey, by the way, we've got to go up and uh, play this grand final? Um, I, I do recall um, for the 2020 season when the finals were adjusted at the last moment, overhearing a comment from a Brisbane Lions player on one of their Instagram videos saying, I've used up all my sick leave. So it's not exactly easy for some players to get leave. What's that hassle like trying to organise that work life around the changing football environment?
0: Oh, it was tough. It was especially tough, I think, probably in the first year or two of AFLW because it was still so new and employers maybe weren't quite adjusted to what the demands were. Um, but given that it was an excitement of a grand final in in Adelaide, um, you know, every newspaper and media outlet was covering it and, you know, Aaron Phillips was the the centrepiece of the town and um, we were lucky. I think most of our employers were just just happy for us to have made it. So that's exceptional circumstances. But, um, yeah, it was tough. But that said, look, that week's just a bit of a blur anyway. So we were all happy to get up there and start preparing as soon as we could.
1: So you get to run out in your first grand final looking for your first ever premiership as a player let alone the inaugural aflw premiership how is the intensity how's the intensity going out into that moment compared to game one of the aflw
0: i have spoken about this before and i guess i'm sure the other girls can attest to this like courtney craney's and nikki talan and when you're out there on grand final day, it's the most all-consuming game that you'll ever play in, just not just physically but mentally. It's um, the most exhausted I've ever been, and I didn't know that it was possible. Um, you know, we were all cramping up in the third quarter, and it was just this unbelievable battle to get through the game. Like, it's just nothing that you can even really describe, I guess, until you're there on the day. So um, it was actually my inaugural grand final win in any level of football so to be able to do it at AFLW was a dream come true. So, um, you know, it's – it's um, yeah, I, I describe it as the most physically and emotionally taxing thing that I think you can ever put your body through um, for many reasons.
1: How hard is that game as a tall defender? You're 179 centimetres tall, so you're expected to drop back in the hole when two of these players could be coming through you. Sabrina Frederick? or Taylor Harris? And as we've known in Grand Finals gone by, men's or women's? Grand Finals, typically the rules get thrown out the window. Someone could run through you if they get reported they don't care. It's the Grand Final. How's it like having to back back into that situation, knowing that tall timber could be coming at you at any moment, no breaks? Yeah, they were um, definitely the twin powers of the AFLW at
0: the time. They're very solid players and um, you know, there was a reason why Brisbane were so successful and they had a great forward line. And um, with Wushner there as well, they were they were very, very classy side. Um, so I was lucky that my fellow defenders were, um, you know, equally up to the task. And um, having Chelsea Randall float back as a sort of third intercept marking defender is um, very, very handy. Um, it's been interesting because since I've... Um, Played elsewhere. I've actually had a, a teammate, um, a teammate of mine at West Coast, said that um, when she played against Adelaide, um, when she was at Fremantle, she actually feared playing Adelaide's backline the most in the comp. Um, she said that we were, you know, quite intimidating and sort of were really hard at the ball. And I like to think that that sort of helped us get us in good stead for that first couple of years of AFLW. We really sort of set the scene, so. Uh, It's a taxing and daunting task thinking about those big forwards, but um, I think we held up to the task that day.
1: Describe the feeling, and I asked Courtney the question last week, of that final quarter. As the record shows, you were outscored by the Brisbane Lions. Even though you had the early jump on them in the first quarter, it looked like you only have so many petrol tickets in a grand final and it seemed like you were running out of gas and in those final few minutes holding on for grim life. Considering also that year you had two close games and you'd lost in both of those games, so easily the bad thoughts can get into the head of, uh-oh, it's happening to us again. What's yeah, it like yeah, trying? Yeah, what's it like trying to hold on? Oh, just
0: exhausting. It was just a case of getting the ball forward at all costs and, um, you know, you throw your body just into positions that you wouldn't normally, you know, to try and stop the ball, try and smother the ball. Um, you know, we'd lost Heather Anderson's injury quite early in the game too, so we were down a rotation in the Um, which was quite tough too. So we were we we're running out of legs. Um, Brisbane were coming hard and fast. So look, um, the I guess in the phone when it was a bit of relief um, as well as being an ecstasy. So... Um, Yeah, again, it was probably just one of those situations where we were just hoping that the siren hurried up and blew, but um, very mentally exhausting, that's for sure.
1: I want to ask you about two moments and if you recall them clearly, including your emotions at the time. One, when the final siren goes, and two, when the medal is put around your neck.
0: (laughs) The siren, um, I was lucky there was a photographer that caught my expression when the final siren went within the first couple of seconds. And I think it's just, just elation, really. Um, unbelievable. No words will ever do that justice. Um, and it's a highlight, not just for football, but for life, I think, in general. It's, You know, you put so much sacrifice and changes in your life and you follow this dream that is footy. And as women's players, we haven't always had those pathways there for us. So it's just a real satisfying moment that... I look back on now and I almost pinch myself that that even happened. But I can even I can remember the distinct moment that it happened, and I guess the view that I had as the siren went. It's really quite amazing how it imprints yourself and it imprints itself in your brain. Um, and the medal was just amazing. Like I think to be able to see that around your neck, um, and we're almost in shock as well because so many of us had followed men's football for so long, and we're AFL tragics. And it's such a special thing as we see our men's players get to do and to be able to have that around your neck it's just surreal um so it's very special i've actually got mine at my mum's place in a safe because um i was too nervous to take it with me when i moved around interstate but um yeah look it's it's just an amazing thing to have that um as a life achievement
1: i mentioned this to courtney cramey last week and again i'll mention it to you particularly growing up as an adelaide crow supporter What does that mean that the club that you followed in seven years' time and then after that in 10 years and another 10 years after that and so on will be inviting you back for your premiership reunion?
0: Yeah, myself and Courtney have actually had a laugh about this in the last week because um, we both sort of knew that we were probably retiring. So um, we were sort of the first couple that are going to set up the... um, Premiership reunions, I think. Um, Adelaide's been really great. They've set up a past players um, association, obviously, for the men, but they've inducted us women into it starting this year. So, um, you know, that's a really nice thing to know that we can go back and do that with the team that we were so passionate about. And um, bonus for me is that I'm settling back in Adelaide now, so I'm able to go and do that. So, um, yeah, again, it's a very nice thing, and it's not something that many players have the privilege to do.
1: Let's talk about 2018. So you're now going into the year as uh, defending your premiership. There's uh, a number of injuries that are happening around at the time. Courtney Cramey had an injury. Aaron Phillips, as we know, that famous quad awareness, the first time anyone had ever heard of uh, that phrase. Um, For yourself, uh, a couple of games, and and most of the time spent in the Sandfield W actually, uh, playing at North Adelaide, seven games.
0: Mm, yeah, and I think um, that was probably uh, an example of where the game um, can change quite quickly. And um, I found myself out of the side and, um, you know, with all respect, I mean, I lost my place essentially to the current All-Australian fullback in Sarah Allen. So um, she's just an absolute star. So um, for her to come through, you know, that, that was probably always going to happen. Um, but I was really lucky that North Adelaide um, was my sample club and I really just had to get on with it. And it is disappointing and lots of players go through this, um, but I just concentrated on playing good footy at, at sample level and North Adelaide um, really became and, and is my local club, my zone's club in South Australia. So, um, you know, it was nice to be able to have a club that looked after me at, at state league level. So, Yeah, look, that's footy, and um, unfortunately, it was a disappointing year for Adelaide in general. Um, We had quite a poor year in terms of win losses, and it wasn't a great way to back up from the premiership the year year before.
1: Do you recall your exit interview from Adelaide from that year?
0: Yeah, I do. Yeah, Um, they're discussions that I think lots of players go into very nervous about. And I guess like one thing that never wavered was my strong love for the club. Um, But at the same time, I knew that it might have to be a time where I look at other opportunities and um, other places that I could further my football career. So, yeah, I do do very distinctly remember that interview. Um, And I think it wasn't just a personal disappointment, but it was a bit of a collective disappointment from the group just because um, we hadn't been able to back up from the previous year at all. Um, Yeah, they're tough times as footballers. So, as I said, I think most of us do go through them at one point or another.
1: Looking ahead to 2019 and the Melbourne Football Club, was it your decision, first of all, to say, look, I'm going to Victoria and it's just a matter of what club is going to pick me up? Or was it Melbourne reaching out to you to begin with?
0: Yeah, um, Melbourne had got in touch with me quite early after being dropped from the Crow side and were aware that I wasn't in the senior team and sort of said, look, is this something that might be a possibility for you? Um, So I just sort of put off talks until the end of the season with Adelaide. And um, Melbourne was also looking like a really good career opportunity for me at the time. There were some jobs that had come up that were um, a, a level up from what I'd been able to do in Adelaide. So... It was a good decision for me um, in football, but also off the field. Uh, so it was further career opportunities and um, also having the opportunity to join Melbourne where there were some players there that, um, you know, were really highly rated and highly targeted players in the competition. Um, it was a real big draw drawcard um, to be able to go and play some football and have a further challenge really, um, you know, knowing that you're going to a club with Daisy Pearson Alisa Day and Karen Paxman it's a a very humbling thing so um, it was very tough to leave Adelaide um, even though it wasn't my choice in the end but um, you know sometimes these calls sort of have to be made and and football is a business so um, that's how I ended up getting traded to Melbourne.
1: At that moment in time, it seemed like a logical decision because uh, the Irish woman, Laura Corrigan-Duray, had left Melbourne and it seemed like you were probably going to take her spot as a tall defender in Melbourne's back line. That seemed to be tick the box and Melbourne would continue where they were, where they always seemed to be about third, just knocking on the door of making that grand final and hopefully, you know, 2019 was going to be a year they would make the next step. And then a few things kind of went awry, including one where uh, Daisy ended up being pregnant, so she had to sit out the season. So that was one midfielder down for yourself, a shoulder injury.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a really um terrible injury. It was actually a, a contact injury and I've had six screws um in my shoulder from that injury. So I had to have it completely reconstructed and um the surgeon said it was like a, a car accident or like a trauma type injury. So it wasn't your typical shoulder um, popping out, I guess it was a it was a really bad um, clash injury. So that was difficult. Um, I had to go into a new club with a long term injury, and um, I wasn't able to run or um, do any sort of football for such a long time. So I was already very behind the eight ball when I arrived at Melbourne. Um, so as you can imagine, going into a preseason and trying to to put up. Um, good footy and i wasn't able to do any sort of match simulation or anything like that so um yeah it was a tough tough induction to a move i guess um it wasn't ideal um but again you know i had other career opportunities that were taking off and it was it was sort of good in other aspects of my life so um yeah it's not the ideal way to go into a new club
1: Obviously, you weren't able to get out there on the ground. So for your mental sake, what were Melbourne trying to do to keep you involved behind the scenes?
0: Uh, Look, it was just a case of having to bide my time and, um, you know, training boldly on the track and essentially waiting for that opportunity to come up. And um, I did get back to playing in some... um, match simulation, the, the W sides were doing some trial games for girls that weren't selected in the um, W side. So um, that was really the message that I was, that I received. It was a case of just having to sort of get on with it and waiting for that opportunity. So there wasn't a lot more I could do. It was, um, you know, and again, that's just how footy works. Um, and sometimes there are minimal changes to the senior side. So, um, you know, it was again, it was unfortunate timing, but um, I just had to get on with it and getting back to playing football in well as quickly as I could.
1: So at the end of the 2019 AFLW season, you'd be delisted by the Melbourne Football Club. So you, you're here in Victoria now, and most likely you're not going to play for the Casey Demons and the VFLW, so you're looking for another club what was the decision at that stage? Was it to look towards an AFL club and play with their reserves to try and hope to impress, to get onto their list or was the the focus of, I'm going to pick a standalone club. And then what obviously led to the communication of you linking up with Hawthorne?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. I was very dispirited. I guess I felt like I'd really lost some of my love for footy, um, in that period of time. And, um, it was really tough. I was very close to giving the game away. Um, and I actually received a message from Meg Hutchins who um, was at Hawthorne at the time. And she said, look, I'm just wondering if um, Hawthorne might be somewhere you'd like to come and play at. You know, we're looking for players such as yourself. Um, let me know if you're interested. And I ended up um, giving her a call and speaking to some people at Hawthorne and they put me down there and, asked if it would be something that I'd like to do. And it was actually quite a tough call again. I was very, very close to giving it away then. Um, and Hawthorne really just, um, it was a fantastic club at SLW level. Um, I was able to meet and play alongside some really influential people in football and one being Meg Hutchins and Lou Watton, for example. I was able to reunite with Jeff Sibley, who I'd played with at Bellconnen in, in Canberra. Um, you know, Deanna Haynes. Um, Tamara Luke there was just some really great people out there um, Jordan Membry also came to Hawthorne who'd been delisted by Collingwood and we all just really looked after each other and enjoyed ourselves at Hawthorne um, you know I'm really grateful that Meg gave me that call because it was a really important part in me learning to love the game again
1: for the Hawthorne Football Club, you play all of their 14 games. I think only one of four players to play every game alongside Cara Henderson, Rosie Dillon, and Steph Carroll.
0: Yes, yes. Steph's another another sort of women's footy. There's just some top people at Hawthorne, some really great people. Um, you know, I, I, I loved my year there. I mean, we obviously didn't quite um, emulate the success that Hawthorne had had the previous year at the SLW when they won the flag, but... Um, the enjoyment and the, the growth amongst the group was really evident. I mean, I think six of us actually got drafted last year. So, um, you know, I can't speak highly enough of Hawthorne's program Um they did a great job with us there, and I loved playing out the whole season.
1: And I should, I should also mention that the Hawks, a couple of Crows teammates, uh, Georgia Bevan and Sarah Perkins playing there, and I'll just slip in the name Kirby Bentley as well in case she goes, hey, what about me? Um, so so, <laughs> so plenty of stars at the Hawks under Patty Hill. Yeah, it
0: was brilliant. Um, again, being able to reunite with Georgia Bevan and Sarah Perkins, um, it was great fun, and It was really a good chance, as I said to you. I've played footy in a few different states and it was the first time I'd really been able to meet a lot of the influential women's players in Victoria. So um, I just had a ball there and I loved um, going out there with, you know, your Lou Wattons and Meg Hutchins and Steph Carrolls every week. It It was great fun.
1: So the West Coast Eagles take you in the draft in 2019. That's a big jump from Melbourne to Perth. How did the phone call come from the Eagles to say, how would you like to move to the other side of the country?
0: <laughs> uh, I actually got a call. Um, I was about to board a flight to New Zealand and uh, my manager actually rang me and said, um, you won't believe what call I've just had. And I said, oh, what? You know? And um, he said, oh, West Coast. <laughs> and I'm just about dropped off, off the seat. Um, and my initial thought was no way, like, there is no way I'm relocating. There's no way I'm going, um, too far. You know, I've done enough. Nah, no way. Um, but I sort of had a, I had a week in New Zealand actually. And I sort of thought about it and, um, I was so impressed from all the discussions I had from West Coast early on. They were really, really outstanding people. Um, and it really just, it, it started making more sense to me that maybe this was something I could go over and do. Um, obviously they were building a club from scratch and part of it was, um, you know, it's difficult when other clubs essentially have had four years head start um, to get things right and, and West Coast were just doing such a great job off the field at building a great culture and they sort of asked me if that would be something I'd be willing to do to come over and help um, set up the club and, um, you know, that and, and it was something that just, played on my mind for a little while. And every time I had discussions with them, um, I had the opposite of what you call a red flag. I actually was more impressed every time I um, heard more or I flew over to Perth and um, met Anna Swanson and Dana Hooker and had some preliminary chats and met some people around the club. And, um, yeah, it was very evident that it was something that I thought I'd like to do to finish off my career. Um, And being able to be in an inaugural side and have a positive impact from some of those young kids was really appealing. So, yeah, look, it came out of nowhere, but I'm glad it did.
1: What's it like coming into that side with a different mindset? As in, when you were going to the Adelaide Crows, who knows what the future holds? You never know, we maybe could win the flag. In 2017 to 2018, we're defending the premiership. To 2019, when you were going to Melbourne, of all, we're almost there. We're almost there. To West Coast, where, to be honest... You're not aiming for the flag in year one because it's now a 14-10 competition. You're, you're trying to build the base for something down the road.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a different mindset and you know that you're going over there for different goals. Um, and part of the reasons, I guess, that Adam Selwood and Luke Dwyer, and, uh, they really wanted me to come over and help instill resilience, I guess, amongst some of the girls and... Um, particularly on game day, you know, the reality was there were going to be some losses in there and um, being able to hold our heads high and really get on with things in the back line, um, you know, if a succession of quick goals are scored against us. So um, I sort of knew like it was going to be a different tender and you go over there and um, it was really just an opportunity um, to go over and help set up the culture of the club and I guess use some of the... Experience that I'd gathered amongst my time at AFL level and also at state level uh, to build a really good culture, so that the girls can go ahead and become successful down the track.
1: What are your recollections of the Eagles' first victory in the AFLW?
0: It's a real highlight of my career. It was um, it was a tough game, and Bulldogs obviously. Um, are going through a little bit of a rebuild themselves. So we knew that we were in with a really good chance that day. Um, and it was just a real happy moment. Each time we scored the goal, it was a little bit more belief that we were going to get over the line. Um, we just held on in the end. It became a very close game, actually. Um, and, look, it was great reward for the club. Um, there are some brilliant people over there, some players that are going to be stars of the competition down the track. Um And it was a really special moment for WA footy and for the the West Coast Eagles as a club to um, finally get that win. You know, we were lucky that we did it before the season got canned. So, um, huge highlight for me. Absolutely loved it.
1: What's it like as you're nearing the end of that season for for clubs that look like they weren't going to make the finals, for players that are thinking about retirement, those thoughts start to come to mind with a couple of rounds to go thinking, well, maybe I should tell the coach now to see if I can get penciled in for the final game to get the one last hurrah this season has all of a sudden come to a grinding halt and having to go into finals then of course finals got caught off after week one what's going through your mind at that stage of should I go on to get the farewell game in 2021 should I hang up now what what's what's going through your mind in these crazy unprecedented times
0: Mm, yeah, well, given it's unprecedented, I suspect that it's probably um, put retirement in players' minds that perhaps hadn't thought about it previously. Um, I guess with COVID, we didn't have any certainties that the season would roll on as it was stated to for 2021. And there was a lot of, um, you know, we, we were just trying to all make sure that we were healthy, let alone think about the future. So, yeah. Um, it was very disruptive and for the girls at the end of that that season, I mean, I feel really feel for the girls who didn't get the opportunity to play finals who would earned it. But that's really tough. Um, but it certainly does um, change up your thinking a little bit. I think that the COVID situation has probably meant that quite a lot of us have had to look at some career options and, um, you know, some girls are stranded in states of Australia and, Um, you know, it's probably, it's certainly for myself, it's meant that I've had time to look at some other opportunities and interests outside of playing football. So, um, it probably sped up my decision. Um, and I suspect it may have with others too.
1: Before your decision, you end up returning to Adelaide, where you're currently now playing in the Sanford women's competition with North Adelaide, who's chugging along nicely at the top of the ladder as you go into finals under the esteemed Chrissy Steen. Um, What what saw the decision to return to Adelaide, where obviously you were based out of Perth, you had careers, options going in Melbourne. Um, What saw you want to come home? Was it just a case of wanting to be around family at these uncertain times?
0: Yeah, it was Um, being around family and friends and people that I'm closest to. Everyone was sort of back in Adelaide. So it was a real driver for me to come home. And, um, you know, Adelaide was probably where I was always going to settle anyway, um, down the track. Um, You know, we we obviously didn't know what was happening with the football season. So it was just a bit of a no-brainer to come home. Um, And look, there's been opportunities that have come up in career and, one of the great uh, things that's happened is then I've been able to resume playing with North Adelaide in the Stample W and I've really been loving that experience and, um, you know, being back in the sample's already been opening some doors for me for post-career options and some off-field roles. So, um, yeah, look, the driver, I think family and friends and support networks are always a big thing in life. Um, living away from home, as I have for a long period of time, um, it gets a little bit taxing and... Um, you know, I've lived away, and it's been a brilliant experience. But I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't beat home.
1: Do you recall the moment that finally settled in your head of "Yep, it's time to retire from the AFLW"? And who was the first person you contacted to say it's time?
0: Um, yeah, I actually um, I had a discussion with Adam Selwood, and you know, I've been having those discussions for a while, and. Um, it was my most likely call for quite a lot period of time. Um, so it was pretty tough. Um, I actually just texted my mum and sister in a group um, message because I just couldn't actually say it out loud because it was. I was actually quite upset in, in a good way. <laughs> um, I was just sort of happy tears that, that it had all come to an end. So I actually texted them. Because um, I couldn't quite get the energy to ring them and tell them over the phone. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a really good ending. Like, I feel happy, um, but it is, it's almost like you're in a bit of shock. It's like the thing that you've driven you for so long um, is gone. But I guess that's why, as well, it's good to now challenge myself in other areas. Um, yeah, it's a very unusual feeling, and it's something that I'm sure that the others go through too
1: particularly for yourself, I mean, you're still a very young 32, um, and, and one would suggest you'd have more years to come. Was this a case of the fire wasn't there anymore? Or, as we said, you've had ACLs in in, in netball, you've had a shoulder reconstruction. Was it perhaps the body saying it just can't be pushed anymore?
0: Uh, my body's actually good. I'm really enjoying playing Sample W, and um, I feel like my body's up to the rigours of fairly decent football. I've been really lucky with soft tissues. Um, That hasn't really been the issue. It's sort of been a couple of accidental collision injuries that I've had. Um, For me, it was something, you know, going over to West Coast was um, a huge move anyway. So I always had that in my thoughts that that would be, you know, the end and it'd be nice to sort of do it and then go out. But a big driver for me has been... um, I guess the toll and exhaustion of moving around a lot and not being able to focus on my career. Um, every time a career opportunity or promotion has come up, I've had to say no or not pursue it. And, um, you know, I'm really at that point where I'm ready to take on a new challenge and hand the baton on, um, again, yeah, I really, I've actually gone backwards in my career in the past five years. Um, from where I was when I first started playing footy. So when I look at it like that, I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world because football's amazing, but I guess it highlights the challenges that women's football still have in managing career. And for me, it's, um, you know, undoubtedly AFL will open many doors, but also from a practical sense, I'm ready to uh, make the most of my law degree and um, try some new things that I haven't been able to do for a long time. So It's a nice time to go out on a high as well. I don't think many players get that opportunity. So um, I'd like to continue in the Sample W and perhaps do some line coaching uh, from next year, which will be nice.
1: As I was about to say, in the football world, where where do you see your place in the next few years? Do you see yourself moving into coaching, um, considering your law degrees, moving into administration? Or as we've heard during this interview, an excellent communicator, do you see yourself moving over to the media?
0: I actually would love to do administration. Um, I'd love to get into football governance, compliance, um, some of the off-field things. Um, Obviously, we're a little bit tied up at the moment with COVID and there are very limited opportunities, but um, I'll spend some time doing some line coaching and getting my accreditation there. And I certainly see myself being involved in football. It's um, been my religion and it's instilled in my DNA. You know, it's, it's... what my whole family and my friends love and it's our thing so I certainly don't see myself walking away from footy but um I think my knees will be very grateful Peter to uh, have a break because at the moment when I drive home from Prospecto, what North Adelaide to my place in Glenelg I'm getting constant aching in those uh knees so I'll be um enjoying the break I think
1: so before we let you go, a few quickfire questions. Now, this will cover your career with any side that you've played in from Saulful through to the AFLW. Uh, first of all, um, who was the best teammate you ever played alongside of?
0: Uh, hands down, Chelsea Randall. Uh, Chelsea will save you a game and is the hardest, toughest two-way runner I've ever played alongside.
1: Who was the toughest opponent you ever had to go one-on-one against?
0: Ooh, I'm going to say Jamie Lambert. I think she's a very, very intelligent player and you just do not know what her next move is.
1: When you found yourself either struggling on field or off field, um, what, or which teammate have you turned towards most to to have a shoulder to lean on?
0: I would say Adelaide, um, Courtney Craney, actually. She played in the back line with me and um, I guess we've come from a similar background and we both have that same resilience and the same way of attacking the ball on the footy in the game. So she was a really good person that I'd often lean on um, in in game. Yep.
1: And finally, the teammate you found the funniest or or the biggest pest?
0: (laughs) Can I say Rachel Killian? She's she's actually my best mate and um, she was my locker buddy for two years at Adelaide Crows, and um, one of my favourite people in the whole world but the biggest pest because she's hopeless Um, and, you know, couldn't even find her socks to put on, let alone her shorts to play, but love the girl. So, um, yeah, I'll call her the biggest pest, I think. She'll like that one.
1: (sighs) And our last question before we let you go, like we've asked everyone that's had the honour of playing at the national level, what does it mean to you when you sit down at the computer, just open up Google, you type in your name, Talia Radden, and there it is. It pops up a Wikipedia page, AFLW footballer. Uh, I think, gee, my name's not common enough. There's not enough Talia
0: Radden's around. It's going to be... Um... People can find me too easily. No, no. Um, Look, It's just phenomenal that football has been able to be such a big part of my life. So I'm just very grateful to look back on it. And, um, you know, how lucky that I was able to be part of a a movement, I guess, um, where we've really elevated women's footy and also empowering women more broadly. Um, It's just amazing and I'm so glad to be someone who started that off
1: alongside all my other AFLW peers. Well, Talia, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Congratulations on your retirement announcement. Well done throughout your SAFLW, AFL Canberra, the continuing Sanford women's career, the times that you've had at the Demons and then at the Eagles and the AFLW, and most importantly, achieving your childhood dream of winning a premiership with the club you grew up with, the Adelaide Crows.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for your time and thanks for your constant support of Women's Footy.
1: We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalized communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. Time to do a scoreboard check from around the state leagues and we go first of all to the Bond University QAFLW competition and the reason we head to Queensland first is one of the four games was postponed that was Bond University versus Maruchijor due to a player from Bond University requiring a COVID test so playing safe there that game will be played at a later stage. In the remaining three matches for what was round seven, Coulangatta Tweed 6 7 defeated Wilson Grange 3 3 Apsley two straight 12, went down to Yuronga South Brisbane 14 And the UQ Red Lions 4-3-27, went down to Cooperroo 8 53 To round eight action, all games played on Saturday, August 8th. It'll be Wilson Grange versus Apsley at Hickey Park, 2pm. 2 2.45pm at Layshon Park, Yuronga South Brisbane versus Coulangatta Tweed 4.45pm at Giffen Park Cooparoo versus Maroochydore and 4.45pm at UQ it's the Red Lions versus Bond University Across the West Australian Football League Women's Competition Round 3 played over the weekend Subiaco 6 eight, defeating Swan Districts 2 5 17. Peel Thunder 5, five 35. defeating East Fremantle 3 four, 22. South Fremantle have broken the duck they've got on the scoreboard 139, but still going down to Claremont, nine twelve sixty six. 66 Looking ahead to round four action. One game on Saturday, that's Subiaco versus South Fremantle, 10.30 a.m. in the morning at Leaderville Oval. On Sunday, 9th of August, it's Claremont versus Peel Thunder, 2 p.m. local time at Revo Fitness Stadium. While in the live stream game, it'll be Swan Districts versus East Fremantle, 2.45 p.m. local time at Steel Blue Oval. Across to the South Australian National Football League, women's competition. The final home and away round was played over the weekend, West Adelaide. 517 going down to South Adelaide 4529. Sturt 2 416 were defeated by Woodville West Torrens 313 31 Norwood 9963 defeated Glenelg 117 while North Adelaide seven seventeen fifty nine 59 defeated Central District just the one Goal. So to the finals, semi final action, the top four playoff this weekend. We'll have a major semi final and minor semi final. In the major semi final, North Adelaide versus South Adelaide. They'll kick things off at Thebeton Oval in the morning, while at lunchtime, it's Norwood versus West Adelaide. To the Tasmanian State League women's competition, two games played over the weekend for round three Tigers, one straight six, going down to Glenorchy, 13 13 91. And North Launceston, just the two behind against Clarence, 9-12-66. Launceston having the bye. Round four action this Saturday at 12.30pm at KGV. Glenorchy versus Launceston. While at 4pm at richmond Oval, it's Clarence versus the Tigers. Finally across the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division... And we had round three action over the weekend. UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs 8654 defeating Pennant Hill Demons 4630. Sydney University 31129 defeating UTS Bats 3321. Manly Warringah Wolves 8755 defeating the Inner West Magpies 4125. Southern Power 139 in a scrappy affair over North Shore Bombers just the two behind and Macquarie University 117 going down to the East Coast Eagles 7 7- Seven ten fifty two. 10, 52 to Route 4 action in Sydney for this weekend Saturday the 8th of August, all games on the Saturday, we kick the jaw off the grass 11.30am at, at Mike Kenny Oval, Pennant Hills Demons versus Southern Power, 2.45pm at Peckin' Oval, Inner West Magpies versus Macquarie University 4.20pm at Gore Hill Oval North Shore Bombers versus the UTS Bats, 4.20pm at Weldon Oval, Manly Warringah versus UNSW Eastern Suburbs and 4.50pm at Cambridge Bridge Oval, East Coast Eagles versus Sydney Uni. And that's the scoreboard for the state leagues across Australia. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules football podcast for yet another week. We'll be returning to our regular home and regular time next Wednesday, the 12th of August. We'll air first at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time when we return to RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne, also via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. And then on Wednesday evenings, the podcast will be available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at warfradio.com. Don't forget, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just put a slash at the end, and warfradio, you can find us there for all our latest information. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden, thanks so much for your company, and it's bye for now.